Numbers 13 and 14 is where we're going to be tonight, so grab your Bibles and stand with me if you would. Numbers 13. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. And just to be clear, they weren't deserving of this gift. This was a land that God had promised their forefathers, and now he was fulfilling his promise. And this was an incredible gift that he was giving to them that he had brought them miraculously to. And we'll say more about that in just a moment. And he says, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And then the Bible talks about the men that went and and the, the, the journey that they were on. And so here they come back in verse 26. So find verse 26, chapter 13, verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Now, if we just stop right there, that's a pretty good report, isn't it? They said, God gave us this land, and let me tell you, it's incredible. And here are the things we've collected from it. Unbelievable. The resources that God has, you know, has given to us, this is incredible. But then we find this really ugly, nasty word in verse 28. And these men say, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Thinking about Jericho and other cities like that. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites. Well, they dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. I mean, there's just like, this place is crawling with bad guys. And they're everywhere. Verse 30, people start to get a little wound up. And they're murmuring and they're fearful. And so a man named Caleb, who has some courage and strength, stills the people. He says, quiet down. He gets them quiet. And he says, let's go up at once and possess it. Okay, it's full of bad guys. Let's go. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants and the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Verse, chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice, and they cried. The people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And then this question that we're going to come back to, they ask, And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land? To fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. And we'll stop our reading there tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a good day, time to be together tonight. What for just worshipful music uh, this evening and, and all day today. Uh, we're grateful, Lord. Grateful for time together with each other. The strength we receive from one another, Father, we're grateful for. 
And then, Lord, we're grateful for your word. And as we sung a moment ago, it is a guide uh, to our feet, a light to our path. And I pray that tonight it would be just that, that each of us here tonight, Lord, would be uh, able to find a point of application that would help us this week as we live our lives uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, we preached a message on how the questions we ask ourselves determine the trajectory of our lives. And I, I mentioned this last week, so if you weren't here, uh, this would be for your benefit. But several years ago, um, Pastor and our staff read a book called QBQ, and we discussed it as a staff. We, have, we, we read books, we discuss them in our staff meetings, we went through it together and talked about the application, the points that meant something to us. And it was such a help, we decided, let's, let's share this with our, some of our lay leadership. And that was several years ago. And the book had, was fresh at that time. Now it's been 15 years. They've done a reprint. Over a million copies of it have sold. And so we were looking at some of the thoughts uh, last week. And, and the book is called QBQ. And it, it stands for the question that's behind the question. And the book addresses oftentimes in our lives problems that we face and our responses to problems or to difficulties. And so a lot of times what we do, and, and we know this to be true if we're honest, is we want to blame other people for problems that come into our lives, right? We, or we act like we're victims, or we just procrastinate and put off the problem, or we complain about it. And sometimes all of those all at once. And so last week we introduced five questions that the author writes that, that were super helpful and I hope will be helpful to you as we look at this for, the, for a few weeks. Um, and the five big questions that surface in our minds. And, and these aren't necessarily questions that we ask e uh, each other or other people. They're questions that take place within our own hearts. It's, it's this internal dialogue that takes place within our minds. Oftentimes we don't even know it's going on, but it's very much there. Self-talk is something we all participate in. And the things we tell ourselves matter. And they often determine the outlook and the thoughts and the actions that we take in our life. And so asking the right questions in our lives and thinking the right thoughts leads to good action, good results, things that are pure and true and right. But when we have and ask the wrong questions, we begin to produce the wrong kind of thinking. And the wrong kind of thinking produces what? Well, the kind of things that are, that are, that are wrong. And, and that aren't fruitful, and that are, that are harmful and damaging to ourselves, uh, to our reputation, to our families, to our Lord, and to His cause. And so the guidelines for asking good questions from QBQ are simply these. And I, I will state these each week, and I did last week, but the, the guideline is simply this. We are to ask questions that begin with what or how. And that's very important. And we're going to zero in on that tonight. Not why, not when, and not who. There's a big difference when we frame a question with what or how. And then the question needs to contain an I. So what can I do? Or how can I help? Or how can I make a difference? And, and that leads us to the third thing is that question needs to focus on action. So how or what can I, and here's the action, do? Or how can I help? And when we ask those types of questions, they lead to positive results. But when we say things like this, well, whose job is it? Or, or when's this going to happen? Or for our purposes tonight that we're going to focus on is why? Why me? Well, those types of questions lead us to a totally different place and a totally different result in our lives. And so we want to steer away from those. And of all the questions listed, perhaps the one that's most dangerous that we ask too frequently is the question, why? 
it's not the why question in the sense of learning about the world or of, of understanding better systems or ideas, but the why that creeps into our internal dialogue that's self-focused. It's the kind of question that we ask with why, and maybe we state it explicitly, and, and most often it's implicitly, but we say why, and then it's followed by me. Why is this happening to me? Why my body? Why my spouse? Why my children? Why my church? Why, this is, why is this happening to me and in, in my life? Why my parents? It creeps into our thinking and it makes us feel sorry for ourselves. In our text tonight, we find the children of Israel. The nation was started by Abraham long ago. But it wasn't until his grandson Jacob moved them into Egypt with his 12 sons that they really began to multiply and take off. In fact, uh, by the time they were on the Exodus and moving out, uh, the Bible says that there were 600,000 footmen. And so there's no way to know exactly how many people are. But commentators guess if there were 600,000 footmen, I mean, there would have been women and, and children. So you do the math. It'd been a lot of people, probably more than live in the city of Tulsa. I, I don't know, but probably so. So can you imagine tonight? Here they are. and God miraculously delivers them from bondage in, in Egypt. And this massive group of people is moving together with their belongings and their livestock. And they're moving through the wilderness towards a land that God had promised them long ago. They had been under bitter bondage for hundreds of years. And God delivers them, and the way He delivered them, and, and I won't recount all that tonight, but many of you know the stories there. It was nothing short of miraculous. It left no doubt in their mind. It left no doubt in the Egyptians' mind. And it left no doubt in the world's mind that God had done that. That God delivered them. That He was blessing them. That He rescued them. And not just that. But God went before them, and He successfully, successfully and safely navigated them through the wilderness with food that they didn't grow or work for. Like, they just had to cut out of their tent in the morning and go pick it up, and it tasted really good. And, and, and they had clothes that didn't wear out. And when they were thirsty, water would miraculously appear. I mean, from a rock. Like, they had everything that they needed, and God protected them every step of the way. No leader and no government could ever come close to providing for these people the way that God did. God brought them all the way to the land He had promised. They had come so far, and here they are on the precipice of advancing into the promises and the blessings of God and the fulfillment of what He had promised He would do for them. And he instructs Moses, I want you to take 12 men. I want you to select one from every tribe. And I want these men, these special unique men to go out and I want them to spy out the land and give, come back and give a report. And so they do. And two men present a report that was based on their internal dialogue. And in their internal dialogue, they ask the questions like this. How can we take these guys out? What do we need to do to advance? We, we got this. And you can see this thinking reflected in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 30. Look there with me. It says, um, I'm sorry, I think it's uh, 13, verse 20. It says, Caleb said, let us go up at once and possess it. And he says this, for we are well able to overcome it. It's not a matter of if, 
But how are we going to do it? And what are we going to do to do it? Because we got this, guys. We can do this. But the other 10 men ask questions like, how? I'm sorry. They ask questions like, why? And who? And when? And you can see it in their response. Look at verse 31 with me. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. The people were infected with the why, who, when, more than the how and the what. So Numbers 14 verse 3 says, Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land? Wherefore is an old English word and it means this. Why? Why did God bring us here? Just to have our wives and children killed? Why did he do this to us? Why did he drag us through the desert? Just that we could die here? And they're asking the God who miraculously delivered them, who miraculously protected them, who miraculously provided for them, why? Why God? Why me? And why us? And these people have been asking the wrong questions all along the way, and they didn't stop now. Why is a dangerous word, because it leads to victim thinking. I want you to think about something tonight. If, if something bad happened to me, so for sake of illustration, let's say I get robbed. Someone robs uh, uh, me, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel violated by that. Now, true or false, am I a victim? Well, the answer is true. I am a victim of the robbery. Somebody took something from me, didn't belong to them, it was mine, and they took it. Okay, so I'm now, now I'm, I'm a victim, true victim. All right. But that gets resolved and the moment passes, but I won't let it go. So I go home and, and I come here and I tell everyone about it and I complain endlessly about it and I won't shut up about it. And I ask things like this, why did this happen to me? Well, this is just unfair. Why doesn't anyone care about me? Okay, and I won't let it go. And if I won't let it go, now I've, I've gone from being a victim to now acting like one and thinking like one and not resolving in my heart what happened, but continuing in that spiral of thinking. And if I do that, now I'm thinking and acting like a victim and that's not healthy. Why me questions never turn out well for those who ask them. When people ask the question, why me, like these children of Israel did, it's almost always accompanied by complaining. The Bible uses the word murmur. Verse 2, and the children of Israel, chapter 14, murmured against Moses and Aaron. In fact, they were murmuring so loud, Caleb had to go out there and say, be quiet, shut your mouths. Like, everybody sit down and be quiet. Let me talk now. Like they're murmuring so loud. And then they weep and they wail and they cause all this drama all night long. And say, oh, it's just the most horrible thing. God brought us here. Why did he do this to me? They're wailing all night. And they get up in the morning. And, and, and here they are and they're just, they're murmuring against their leadership. And the, wilderness, and, the, and the congregation says to them, would God we had died in the land of Egypt. Like we should just be in slavery here, just getting beat to death like we were. Or would God that when we came through this wilderness, we just all died of starvation and, 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 and hunger and thirst. Did they really mean that? No. They're complaining and they're murmuring. 
You know what's so sad about this particular story is they never gave God a chance. Like, like they never even tried. They were acting like they were defeated and they hadn't even fought one battle yet. It's not like they went in there and got beat up real bad. No, they were just basing their information off of what someone else said. Not what God said. And they weren't listening to him. Nothing had happened and they were already acting like victims. And that's classic victim thinking because the truth is too many times in our lives we act like victims when nothing's really happened to us. And we sink into this type of thinking. Victim thinking gives away the power of choice. It's not just acting like you can do nothing. Here's what's so egregious about it. It's acting like God can do nothing. It's literally taking God off of his throne and saying, he brought us here to die. That's not true and you're lying. He did not. He has a powerful blessings in store for you and your thinking is limiting you from advancing and experiencing the goodness of God. And here they were, telling themselves lies, acting like victims and nothing has happened, and dethroning God. When we act like victims, no one benefits. When you play the victim, who are you serving? Who are you making better? And the answer is no one. Not God, not others, and not even yourself. Like, like literally, when you get into this mentality, no one benefits. No one wins. There is no winner here. Everyone, including yourself, loses. And God isn't okay with the victim mentality of his children. And I want you to see his response later in the chapter. And so look at verse 22 of chapter 14 with me. And this is God's response. And, 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 and between the verses that we're not reading right now, God comes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, step aside. I'm going to wipe these people out. Like, I'm not okay with this. This isn't acceptable. They don't get to complain and murmur and question me and ask those kind of questions. Their thoughts and their actions have been bad for so long. Get out of the way and I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses has to intercede. Say, God, hold on a second. You made all these promises. Don't, don't do that. God says, okay, I'm not going to wipe them out, but this is, this is what's going to happen. Verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. You want to complain, you want to murmur, and you want to cause all sorts of drama in your life, Okay. But there's some stiff consequences attached to that. Because they chose to think like this and to act this way, I'm going to take my blessings from them. It's too late now. Verse 26, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this? And what does God use the word there? Evil. He said, this is evil. You and I would define evil a different way. This is how God defines evil. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me, asking me why? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me, saying to them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. 
And this language is pretty graphic. Verse 29, your carcasses, <laughs> wow, your carcass shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell in. Well, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in. They shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you and your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. You get into this mindset, and God says, your carcass is trash. <laughs> like, you, you, you don't get it. Like, you don't get to do this without impunity. Like, I'm going to hold you accountable for your attitude, for the questions you ask, for the words you say. And I'm not okay with that. Why me? led to their destruction, and I'll tell you tonight, it will lead to yours too. The best way to address the victim mentality in our world, and it's everywhere, isn't it? But the best way we can deal with it is to get rid of it ourselves. Because in subtle ways, it creeps into our thinking, it creeps into our mindset. I was in pastor's office before the service tonight, and it's just the irony of this just cracked me up. It's probably not funny to you, but I'm a pretty big sinner. And I'm sitting there like, well, Pastor, if I just had some more time to study this thought, I could have done a better job. I just don't know why, why I, well, uh, I mean, I don't know why, wait a minute, let me just, just stop talking now. I mean, and I just caught myself and I started laughing. So I'm in direct violation of the sermon I'm trying to challenge people with tonight. And we do it. And it leads us to this victim mentality it leads us to murmuring and complaining. It leads to wrong thought and wrong action. We've got to be careful with this. It's the wrong way to go. And God says, I've got something else in store for you. So there's three ideas uh, that I want to take from the book uh, that this author presents that help us break out of the victim thinking in our lives. And if, if you've read the book or intend to read the book, this would be chapters 6 through 8. You might include that in your notes. And I'm going to try to tie it to this story because I think it does tie well. This is the type of thoughts that, that as leadership of the church, we want not just for ourselves, but for, for, for us. Um, this is the type of church we want to be. We, we don't want to think in a victim mindset. We want to advance and say how and what God can, can we do here? And how can we serve you? And we're going to get rid of this mindset and this murmuring and this complaining and this evil mentality that leads to a dark place and say, God, we want to pursue you. And that's the kind of heart and mindset we want in this place. And so number one, instead of asking why is this happening to me, take control of your stress. Stress is a choice. And the Israelites thought their stress came from the giants. They said, those guys, sons of Anak, they're huge. They're, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. The, the, the Amorites and the Moabites and all the other ites, they're everywhere. They're just all over the place in every direction. And, 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 and we can't do this. They thought their stress came from Moses. He's a bad leader. They thought their stress came from the wilderness. Ultimately, they thought all the stress we're experiencing, oh, oh my goodness, it comes from God. He brought us here. Why, God, why? But stress is a choice. It's hard to accept that stress is a choice. And if we'll allow ourselves for a moment 
it's easy to have a little bit of empathy for these guys. Like, what they're going through is a big deal. And for us, maybe tonight we think it's the kids. Or the lack of funds. Or the marriage partner. Or our health. The economy. Or the government. Or the decisions of others in our lives. And as Pastor preached this this morning, yeah, life's full of bad things. And it is. And bad things happen. And sometimes it is the result of other people. Sometimes it's the result of our own choices and decision making. But stress is still a choice because regardless of what triggers the event, we always have a choice of how we will respond to it. So here's this moment for the children of Israel. And here they are in the wilderness. And here God presents a little bit of opposition. Like, oh, we don't get to just walk in and get a free meal. Like, we don't just get this for free, God. Oh, it's going to be, we're going to have to fight for it and earn it. Well, forget that. Don't want to do that. Don't want to earn our ticket. Well, you don't just give us free stuff, then we're out. That was the mindset here. Hey, we would have strong opinions about this if it were someone else, but sometimes we think that way. We just want everything to fall in our laps. And so we get a little stress, and then we choose to get angry. And we choose to withdraw. And we choose to feel sorry for ourselves. And we choose to worry. And we choose to complain. And those are all choices we make, we make because here's this trigger event and we can go this way or we can go this way. And it's always a choice. And instead we blow up and we complain. Stress isn't something that happens to us. It comes from within. Different people can have different reactions to the same situation because stress is a choice. So there were 12 men that went to spy out the land of Canaan. And, and 10 guys came back and said, no way, Jose. Like, there's no way. Those guys are huge. They're everywhere. I mean, this is cool land. Don't get me wrong. What's out there is awesome. But we can't do it. And two guys said, would you be quiet and sit down for a second? We can. Like, we, we can do this. Like, did you see everything God just did? Like, oh my goodness, if God can, can deliver us from Egypt, these guys don't stand a chance. Like, what are you guys thinking? Okay, here's the trigger event. The majority of the men chose stress. They chose their response to stress. And the other men chose, you know what, we're going to have a different response to the same trigger. Instead of saying, okay, what can we do? The ten men said, why me? And they led others to say, the same thing. Why did the Lord bring us into this land? Why Moses? And here's, here's, the, here's the awful truth of it. The victim mentality is in itself extremely stressful because asking why me only adds more stress. So once we start down this road, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get better and it gets harder and harder and harder to pull back and go the other direction. One of the best ways to control stress is to ask the right questions from the get-go. Instead of why, instead of feeling sorry for self, instead of sinking into this victim mentality, it's this, how and what can I do to improve this situation? What does God want for me to do? How am I going to make a difference? Let's, let's ask the right questions and get into the right frame of mind with the stress in our lives. And for all of us, stress is going to be different. Some of us, it's health concerns and, and aging bodies, financial concerns, 
raising children, a difficult relationship. There's stress at work, but we all have a choice to these things. Instead of asking, why is this happening to me? Take control and realize the stress in your life is a choice that you make. That stress isn't something that happens to us. It comes from within. Number two, instead of asking, why do I have to go through change? Adapt your thinking to the changes in your life. God never changes. And aren't you grateful there's, Brother Jesse said a moment ago, there's this solid rock we have to stand on. He never changes. But he's the only thing that never changes. Everything else does, including us. Like everything's always changing. The world's always changing. So much change was taking place in the lives of the children of Israel. They left Egypt. They hated Egypt. But at least they knew what was there. It wasn't uncertain. They journeyed through the wilderness and everything, every step of the way was uncertain and changing. There was a new government. There was a new way of living. There was new responsibilities. There was a new home that now they learned they had to conquer. And slaves, like they were in Egypt, are truly victims. Like they were in bondage. But now they're free. Now they're no longer slaves. And they took the mentality of slavery with them. And here they are and they're free. Like they don't have to think this way anymore. They have a choice now. But instead of choosing differently, they chose the same response they had always had when they were truly victims, only they weren't any longer. Their mindset didn't change. The world has never stopped changing. The problems of yesterday are rarely the problems we will face tomorrow. Conditions change. Circumstances change. Organizations change. Nations change. Leaderships, leadership changes. And, and people change. In, in the last few wor- years, our world has changed so much, we're still trying to absorb it. Like our heads are spinning from all the change in our world and in our culture. And it will continue to do so. And the solution to yesterday's problems will not solve tomorrow's problems. We have to have a new way of thinking. And we have the same God. But we have to be willing to adapt and be willing to follow the Lord wherever He leads in our lives. We all need to change with the change and be willing to adapt to the stresses that come our way. There's a story from the book QBQ in in chapter 7. And I'm going to take a moment to read it because I think it helps illustrate this point. When Stacy was 12 years old, she and her father, a pilot, his name wasn't Peter, he was some other pilot, right? He took off on a Sunday afternoon joyride in their single-engine Cessna. Not long into the flight, about a mile up over Lake Michigan, the joy of their father-daughter adventure came to an abrupt halt because the engine quit. Stacy's father turned to her and in a calm, reassuring tone said, Honey, the engine has quit. I'm going to need to fly the plane differently. What an interesting phrase. I have to fly the plane just in a different way. Her father understood that new challenges and changing conditions often require strategies. So in order to restart the engine, they needed more airspeed. Stacy's father told her he would be hitting switches in the cockpit while he steered the plane downward. Stacy understood and sensing the gravity of the situation quickly nodded her approval of dad's plan. Her father put the plane 
into a dive and fiddled with the switches, but nothing happened. He leveled off closer to the water. Stacy, we're going to try that again, he said. Hang on. They dove a second time. He hit the switches again as the plane gained speed, and this time the engine fired. First with just a few hopeful sputters, but finally with a secure and familiar hum. About 20 minutes later, they landed safely. And at that point, this rock of Gibraltar kind of guy, this fearless father, this man of courage, turned to his 12-year-old daughter, lovingly patted her on the shoulder and said, now honey, whatever you do, don't tell mom. <laughs> I think I may have used that phrase a few times myself. Okay, there's a point to the story. Stacy's father could have complained. He could have whined his way to their death. He could have thrown up his hands in despair. He could have wailed and cried out to God, why now? Why this plane? Why with my daughter? But instead he said this, how can I adapt my approach? New physical challenge in my body. Okay, what can I do? Uh, this relationship shifted on me and things aren't good. Okay, how, how can I help? Instead of why me? Why now? This, this is despair. This is, this is God can't help me and I can't help myself. This is removing God's sovereignty from life. Instead, God, how do I respond to this? And you've, you've placed me on a new path and I didn't expect this and this is a new difficulty. So I'm going to change and I'm going to adapt and I'm going to do what's necessary to meet the challenge ahead. And then number three tonight, instead of asking why don't they communicate, better, listen better to those in your life. I think one of the often the problems, or the biggest problems in our lives, simply comes down to communication. You know, here were the children of Israel, and, and they didn't even give Joshua and Caleb a real platform to explain themselves. Like, okay, Caleb, you say we got this. Tell us, what, like, what are you thinking here? What's going on in your mind? Why do you think we have this? Explain that to us. We want to learn and understand. There was none of that. It was, oh, wait, there's giants and resistance and lots of enemies. Nope, we're out. Like, we're not doing that. We're not going that direction. They didn't ask God any questions. There wasn't a moment of prayer like, Lord, you promised this, so what's going on now? They jumped to conclusions and they defaulted to victim thinking. They just drowned themselves in despair and helplessness. They didn't listen to God. They didn't even give him a chance to show them his great plan for them. And it took 40 years for God to bring them back to that same place and say, all right, now let's go get him. And watch what I can do with a city that's walled in. You march around it a few times and I'll just cause all those, those big rocks to fall down. And they did. Watch what a little stone can do in a giant's forehead. Let, let me show you how this works. Take him down real fast. See, communication isn't just about being understood. Communication is always about understanding the other person. And we ask questions like this. Well, why don't they communicate more clearly? I can't understand you. Why don't you communicate more clearly to me? Wrong question. Leads to wrong thinking, wrong action, and terrible consequences. Effective communication is our responsibility. It is not the responsibility of other people. It doesn't start with you being understood. It starts with understanding the other pe person. Like, okay, God. What are you teaching us here? How, how, how do we do this? 
How do we overcome the odds here? We ask questions like this. Well, why doesn't anybody understand me? And why won't they listen to me? Instead, better questions would go like this. How can I better understand this person? How can I listen better? What can I do to better understand what you're working at communicating to me? Look, when we fail to control our stress and our thinking and our listening, we fall victim to a a mentality that says, why me? And we all struggle with asking that question. Life is difficult and bad things happen. And then we slip instead of into the, okay, what or how am I going to solve this? Like, what can we do? We slip into this. Nope, not going to happen. And why me? And why now? There's some comfort, I think. I take at least from the scriptures. Because at one point Moses asked the Lord, wherefore, again, there's that word, why hast thou afflicted thy servant? (laughs) God, why are you hurting me? Is what Moses said. David asked in Psalms 10, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord, and why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? It almost sounds blasphemous. Like, hey God, I'm in trouble here, and why have you abandoned me, and are you hiding? Because I'm in real trouble. That's what David said. Habakkuk asked, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? Get that out of my face, God. Don't want to see that. Why are you making me be the prophet to address this? Job said, why hast thou sent me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? I hate my life so much. I'm a burden to me, not just other people. Why, God? Why'd you abandon me? Where are you at? If Moses and David and Habakkuk and Job could ask that question and have a victim mindset, then we can and we do too. The difference was these men course corrected and we can too. So they may have got to this place, but they thought, you know what, hold on a second here. God has an answer. God has a plan and I need to get on board with him. Okay, God, what can I do? How can I make a difference? How can I serve you? And each of these men their lives led to a greater place because they abandoned that type of thinking. But when we stay there, it will drown us in despair and nobody wins. Not even you. See, God doesn't usually answer why questions, but he does answer what questions. When we ask what instead of why, we re-enthrone God. Okay, God, you're God and, and, and your ways are above my ways. And you see the big picture, and you know what's going on here, and I don't. So I, I respect that, I honor your sovereignty, and I'm on board, and so God, how and what can I do? And it says, he's, he's God. And I'm not going to say he can't, and I'm not going to say I can't, because I can do all things through him. Not, not, because, not because I have strength. I can do all things through him because of his strength, because he strengthens me, and he's the one guiding my steps. When we are humble and we are accepting of his plan and his working, God does some special things in our lives. But we need to mature 
in our mindset. And we need to stop asking why and ask what and how. What do I need to do? How can I be better prepared? How can I trust the Lord more and not less? Imagine how this story that we read tonight could have turned out if they get to the, the, the promised land here and they chose a different response. And these guys come back and like, wow, there's a lot of bad guys out there. And they said, yeah, but we've got a big God. And if God's for us, who could be against us? What if they had the spirit of Caleb? Here was 10 men who reported this way, and here was two men, and here they stood between the two choices, and instead of going this direction, what if they had said, okay, how do we do this, God? Show us your pet plan. What do we need to do now, Lord? Like, we're scared to death, and our knees are shaking, but what do we do? What, how different would this story have been? Instead of carcasses rotting in the wilderness, there would have been blessing and goodness and faith and joy. How different would your story be? How different can your life be? If you'll stop saying, why me? Like, I need to get rid of this victim mentality and re-enthrone God and realize that I have a choice here with the stress in my life. I can't control what's happening, but I can control my response to it. And so what God and, and how God and, and your God, so I'm going to go. The path you have for me with the right kind of spirit the right kind of actions, and the right kind of questions. And so may the Lord help us with that response tonight.